Yo, Asher, what up? Yo. How you doing? What time is it over in London? What's up? It's a, it's a solid 12.06. Solid 12.06. Never we, been we, better. We were actually supposed to record this last night, but um, Kabir called me at 1.01 and I'd fallen asleep. Anyways, we got to get to the content. Last time we recorded a two-hour episode, uh, <laughs> iTunes told us that if we ever do that again, they're going to take our podcast <laughs> off their network. It was great content, but they uh, they disagreed with the uh, yeah the length. They said you're using up too much bandwidth. Um, so we got to get to the, we're going to get started with the Australian open. We're going to talk about the finals mainly, but also cover a few of the storylines in, uh, throughout the tournament. Um, and I wanted to start with a little, uh, small anecdote from, from, uh, the Sunday morning after the final. Um, I had to teach tennis really early that morning and I was teaching to some, to some younger kids. Uh, they're about eight and nine year olds. If you know about the quick start tennis, they're, they're orange ballers. And I, I got in there and I just assumed they were too young to have watched the match. And I was like, and you guys wake up this morning and like four, I'd say four of five were like, yes, sir. I got up at like 3 a.m. to watch the match. <laughs> so I think that bodes well for the, the future of American tennis. Um, and then uh, any, anything else you guys want to share? Are we ready to uh, talk about main storylines? I think we're ready to talk. All right. So I think the, the biggest storylines besides the final on the men's side uh, are kind of evolution of next-gen players so uh let's start with tiafo any major takeaways from tiafo's win most notably takes down anderson and then on his 21st birthday beats dimitrov um and he makes it to what what round did he ultimately make it to quarters lost to nadal he got scraped by nadal in the quarters yeah um so still couldn't hold the candle to the kind of top you know top true like top five guys but beating anderson even if there were some talks of anderson having was it his elbow was hurting? elbow injury elbow injury he's still incredibly tough to beat even i feel like even a little bit injured he could still beat a lot of these oh, other guys yeah definitely no i mean definitely breakout torn for him mm-hmm. i mean we've been pretty bullish on tiafo for at least a year and a half now wait bullish meaning really optimistic no? optimistic i thought, uh, I, thought, I, thought I thought we were the opposite <laughs> yeah i thought it was a little the opposite no, meaning, okay, no, i mean maybe not bullish meaning we were opt we were we were, hopeful. we're cheering okay, for we were him hopeful. i feel like That's we're rooting we, for we him. were we're being enthusiastic about him but yeah. we've no we've definitely and we've voiced it on this podcast we've had serious doubts about him we want to be successful but the doubts rely on the fact that he's seems kind of stiff and some of his strokes like specifically his forehand it was all the doubt all the doubt was rooted in i think technical concerns mm. um and maybe we still have that i mean mm. i'd like to get asher's opinion on that but definitely breakthrough tournament of him mm-hmm. uh for him you know massive to first get the anderson win regardless mm-hmm. of what say anderson was in but then to back it up with the dimitrov win and we could do a whole i think he's legitimately better than dimitrov i honestly thought <laughs> legitimately where dimitrov right it's, now dimitrov right now is playing some lackluster tennis <laughs> um anyway I mean, tiafo i'd say right now probably the most definitely definitely the most exciting american mm-hmm. player i think mm-hmm. one of the more exciting moments for american tennis in, in recent years next gen guys right now going to the wimbledon for like going to next grand slam where do you rank him if we say maybe Tsitsipas and Zverev are on top. I mean, in terms of the next-gen players yeah. going, going into Wimbledon, yeah. I'm, I, I would put Tsitsipas above Zverev, even uh-huh. though Zverev is ranked higher. More, you know, has won more titles uh-huh. and is now, I mean, he's not even next-gen. He's essentially established-gen right now. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. He's still got the demons in the slams. And mm. Tsitsipas has this kind of fearless confidence. Um, I mean, he hasn't played too many slams yet, but I think this is his second quarter. Mm-hmm. 
Um, well, this was a, a semi, but I think he. Semi, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he seems to not have those those same inhibitions that Zverev has as mm-hmm. soon as he starts playing a slam. I mean, even first couple of rounds, I thought Zverev looked pretty good. Definitely, there was some Lendl effect. I mm-hmm. saw it in the serve mm-hmm. much faster when we saw him U.S. Open. Um, he was averaging 128. Mm-hmm. Even in Paris, he was serving huge, though, right? Yeah. Um, Oh, right. He was. He was. But now this year, his average was up around 134. Yeah, 136 big. in a couple of matches. So serving big at this net game definitely improved. But again, mm-hmm. you know, in the match before Raonic, even the Raonic match, what happens? Back foot, spinny tennis. Mm-hmm. Something happens where he starts going behind the baseline and he doesn't play that aggressive tennis that's won him so many titles. So... I don't know what it is. Um, did he look? Did he look injured to you in this tournament? I know he was like going in with like a hamstring injury. He, yeah, didn't you, Kabir? You were saying so there were some rumors. I, about that, I right? read online on a couple sources that he had a hamstring injury. So I was, I mean, immediately before the tournament started, I, I had doubts, but I didn't see. Was that Patrick Moratoglu's newsletter? Or what was that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in a WhatsApp group with Moratoglu, Darren <laughs> uh, Kale. Um, it's pretty good. Darren Kale sends too many videos of him serving, um, but. So I didn't see any, I mean, it didn't look like Zverev was injured. I mean, look, I don't think he lost two rounds because he was, because he was injured. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's nursing an injury that is you know, mitigating him a little bit, but um, Roundage is definitely the better player there, but we'll talk about Roundage in a minute. But to answer your question, next gen going to Wimbledon, I, would, I think Tsitsipas is probably the most um, I, promising in terms of that tournament. Mm-hmm. Asher, thoughts? Uh, I think I, th- as in, what, what do you guys think? Like Tiafoe's ceiling is. I'm I'm not sure if this tournament should. All the players, I feel like the most. Even. I feel the most unclear after this tournament. I was ceiling. Originally, I didn't think he could necessarily be top ten, but I feel yeah. like after this, making it to the he was what quarterfinals, right? Quarters. Quarterfinal of a slam. I feel like you have to think that he's. If you can make it to quarterfinal of a slam at 21, I feel like you have to think he has top ten potential. All right. So here, so so to to take a step back. What are the two areas that he definitely needs to work on? One, he's too stiff. Mm-hmm. But his net game is really good, which he's is solid at the net. He definitely has variety on the forehand. Technical, I think he's more than solid at the net. He's like, no, he's, he's good at the net. His forehand, strength. weird technique. Alex said it really well. It looks like he's in Kill Bill when he hits forehands. <laughs> but he's definitely got variety, right? It makes Dimitrov, he was looping it. He was flattening it out. He was cutting off the angle. Mm. But he's yeah, really he did, stiff. He did have variety on the forehand. He's really stiff. And I, I don't, um, you know, maybe that works against Dimitrov. I don't know if that's going to work. Mm-hmm. Backhand solid. Consistently. Like backhand, backhand is solid. Um, and his, maybe we, some weird forehand slices. <laughs> I mean, it worked against Dimitrov, uh-huh. but I don't know. So if he gets fitter. And he, competi- he competes well. But you, you know, think he needs to get fitter? No, he's definitely he's really strong. But uh-huh. I think there's a difference in being strong and, you know, yeah, amazing yeah. athlete and having the legs to play like slams joke, joke consistently, right? Like you're playing a fourth set. You, yeah. you, you know, you play five sets in the third round. And then if you win two more matches, mm-hmm. the lingering effect of that mm-hmm. five-setter isn't mm-hmm. really hurting you. He's not at that level yet. And that's mm-hmm. fair. He's only, what, 20 years old, 21 years old? Mm-hmm. So if he gets all that, if he gets past that stuff, mm-hmm. is he top 10, top 15, top 10? I think now I'd say yes. I think he could be top 10. What about, th- Asher, uh, what do you think? Uh, I think he's still behind uh, uh, Pass. Uh, I think he's oh, still behind okay. Ka- Ka- Kachanov. Uh, Kachanov was very disappointing, by the way, going out to Bautista pretty tamely, mm-hmm. uh, especially after what he did in Paris last year. Um, he's probably still behind Medvedev. Um, oh, you think so? Medvedev? I think, I think so. Good, but Medvedev surprised me in this tournament. of, and When he played Djokovic, I watched most of that match. I mean, definitely 
he had the wrong strategy of trying to extend the rallies, but <laughs> doing so, he showed he is consistent. Did you? Mm. I mean, I don't. I didn't get it. I didn't watch. He that is match. really consistent. I mean, he. He's ranked what? He's like top twenty. He was right the fifteen right? seed, I think. Yeah. So I think he's ranked yeah. moved up maybe one or two spots. So he he's up there. Not the prettiest game. Really kind of off balance when he hits the ball, but effective. Big serve. Digs a lot of balls out. Makes you feel pretty uncomfortable out there, but he gets a lot of balls back. I was impressed. All right. By the way, but funny, yeah. funny, uh, funny anecdote. I read uh, the the Economist magazine this morning, and so like following on from like Novak's like incredible win. So they wrote they wrote like a whole feature length article about how Novak's is struggling against the next gen, <laughs> and how and how Medvedev took a set off him. <laughs> Economist definitely taking this from the wrong angle. <laughs> yeah, uh, that that gave me a pretty pretty good laugh in the morning. Yeah, that's that's mm. funny. Although the Economist, you know, in 2017 they had a very spot on article about the Federer backhand, so. I still, you got some respect. For I got them. some respect for them. Um, uh, I you guys, let's let's move. Let's talk a little bit more about Tsitsipas. So, uh, what are your takeaways for Tsitsipas from this tournament? He makes it to the semis. He takes. To, can we go down who he took? Like who is what his road to the semifinals was? Right. So first round, I don't recall who he played. Um, second round, I know he played Victor Tricky. Yeah. Uh, third round. Do we remember who he played, Asher? Baz, Baz, Bazalashvili. Oh, that was a good win, was right? Good. Four he, sets. Four sets, right? Yeah, he, he went four sets, four sets, four sets, four sets, four sets. Solid yeah. win. Um, first round was Berrettini. That's who it was. First round, he played yeah. Berrettini. Second round, Troiki. Third round, Bazalashvili. Fourth round, Roger. was Federer. Uh, yeah. Quarterfinal was Bautista. So, um, I... So I really like Sitsipas, the way he played. So prior to this tournament, I liked the way he played a lot. Um, but something, maybe I didn't see enough towards the second half of uh, last year. Wait, man, I, I thought, feel like, I feel like we're Raonic and Sitsipas, I feel like you were uh, talking a lot of smack about on the, no, I, on the no, pod. No, no, I feel yeah, like yeah, you, yeah. you got to defend yourself or... Uh, or admit maybe uh, so Raonic is another another topic and despite him playing exceptional I still think he should retire so um, <laughs> no Sitsipas so you guys I know I wasn't being serious right in our group message I kept talking about how I love him yeah. that wasn't serious no um but I do think he's hard to play I think that no, is no, no, super I, hard I, to I, I don't actually think like, Raonic should healthy. retire no but, dude yeah you you <laughs> definitely did right, no, no, so the thing about Sitsipas I I did not see him coming into this tournament being a threat I definitely saw him, you know, amazing player. I just didn't think it would come this early. I did not. When I looked at the draw and I put the people who I thought were going to go deep in the first week into second week, did not at all think he was going to make it this far. A little dismissive of the Greek man. Yeah. Well, well that, 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 that was a key bit of uh, information, right? Because you're... Yeah, Asher open. did make a. Asher called that. it immediately that he was... I didn't even the, know that. The, 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 the crowd was going to be a big factor, which is a spot-on comparison to the uh, Baghdadis Australian Open run. So, yeah, I admittedly did not see it. But, look, I mean, I don't I don't think anyone did. I don't think... Um, yeah, no one thought he was going to go that no far. No one thought he was going to go that far. No. So, um, you know, Do one thing think- I'll say, one thing I'll say, though, on the topic of, you know, not being able to predict Raonic and Tsitsipas or Puy or Tiafo going to second week, one thing that I do think I got right, that we got right, is that... Australian Open historically produces 
pretty, maybe not random, but unexpected um, mm, performers. Mm, totally. And so last year, so and Asher said it right. Like, we we got that right. We just didn't pick the right players. Yeah. Is anyone? Um, well, I chose Fenner, but right? Pui, Rauna, Tsitsipas. If I don't think there were anyone's yeah, bracket, right? Throw Tiafo in there. Throw Tiafo in there as well. Um, so why does it produce these, you know, unexpected performers? I think it's something about that off season, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Weeks is in a season where you don't have an off, uh, in a sport where there's no off season, four weeks does do wonders. Clearly does because players are coming in in top form and. They are, um, yeah, we've got a new game. So anyway, yeah, season pass, though. There's, uh, there's also not a lot of like optics on what the, what the guys are doing in the off season, maybe. Cause I remember when Verdasco got to the semis, uh, in 2009 and played unbelievable against Rafa. Apparently yeah. he was training throughout the whole off season with like Agassiz coach, uh, in like the Vegas mountains. <laughs> yeah. Into it, which apparently was what, um, Dimitrov is doing too, but it's not working yet. Um, <laughs> but no, city pass is unreal. So, Unreal too. I, would, I, I was watching. I've been watching a lot more of his interviews. This mm-hmm. tournament, great guy, super charismatic, mm-hmm. great guy, definitely amazing my, hair. He he honestly looks like a a guy from Greek mythology. No, he really does. I mean, the, like, unbelievable. The my favorite thing about Tsitsipas. You know, what, actually, I, this week I'm gonna make something on Photoshop where it's Tsitsipas in like uh like some like Trojan <laughs> like maybe. Like, <laughs> Like in the in like some painting that's about the 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 Odyssey or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll say my favorite thing about Sissy Pass has got to be his YouTube video series. Mm. I guess he's been doing this for over a year now, where each city he goes to. So he is um, pretty passionate, I guess, about I guess film and video. Mm. Uh, sorry, film and photography. And he has this YouTube channel where on every city he goes, he basically makes like a thirty-minute video mm-hmm. of him seeing the city, speaking to locals, and. Um, just kind of being himself, and it's—I mm-hmm. think it's really good content and genuine. There's no like it's he's super sincere. Yeah, it's, so sincere. You know, it's a lot of times I remember. I remember, you know, growing up around like 2005 junior tennis, there was this website um, called Junior Tennis, and it was kind of this offshoot of ITF. Mm-hmm. You, know, you could look up ITF rankings, ITF, but if you wanted to get further information, like photos or uh, personality of tennis players, you would go into it was this Junior Tennis site. Um, and it was crazy. It almost was a disservice sometimes. And have a player like Vladimir Ignatik, this Russian player, and it it would have like a quote: "What do you like doing in your spare time? Going to the cinema." <laughs> you know, completely <laughs> bland, no personality. And now you have someone like Cici Paz bringing in actually a life outside tennis. Something about it, right? Is, is uh, that his his personality on the court is pretty pretty cool as well. I mean, yeah. the guy is the guy is like live always, like all his shots uh all oh, his yeah. reactions he, he's just so super into it so i didn't i mean i guess to conclude it from my side mm-hmm. you know definitely a threat this year hopefully he can keep it up i mean it's going to be a lot of pressure now but I do we think easy. do you think he'll reach anything beyond a semi-final do you think he'll make it to another semi-final or beyond this year I, it's, I, honestly, it's too tough to call but you sure. never you never know with the draw i mean you don't know how he's going because now now the pressure now he's established himself and mm-hmm. he needs to there's going to be pressure on him, right? But at the end of the day, All right, let me reframe the question. But in the day, he if you if you look at his ATP record, he mm-hmm. hasn't played that many matches yet, so he's mm-hmm. still not at that level where he's beating people he should be. So mm-hmm. I, I do think between now and the end of the year, you're going to see him lose to some people he shouldn't because he's still becoming a 
consistent. Probe, yeah, yeah. Right? It's not going to be purely smooth it's, sailing. It's not going to be consistent quarters. If it is, but unreal. What, I hope it is, but I, I, it's probably more difficult than mm-hmm. you know we given we we expect it to be. Yeah. I think he. Okay, what? Well, Asher, you go. He is. He is the first next gen to make it uh, a semis i think since Djokovic in 2008 i think he is the youngest guy since novak in 2008 to make it to, uh, a slam semis zverev must not like that <laughs> I also, him and zverev are like uh it's there's something so funny to me about how they're like they like kind of look a lot like just like they're both <laughs> tall long like blonde flow they're like uh who has i feel like zverev is like the evil villain and Pass is like Okay, who has a higher ceiling? Well, wait, before we get to, wait, a similar ceiling question, but okay. that takes us back and forth. What is the ceiling on the amount of Wimbledon Pass can win? The ceiling. So, wait, can, so wait, can we, do we all agree that his game translates very well to grass? Yeah. Right, we agree? Yeah. I don't, I like, don't know. I mean, I mean, his game translates really well to grass, and I feel like the, because I feel like grass, when we talk about, like, translates well to grass, we're talking about, like, grass in, like, the 80s and 90s. The really fast grass, Like, really right? fast but I mean, his he serves well. Also, his neck game is sick. The, the length of his shorts translates well. It's true. Whereas the old the school, <laughs> old school white shorts. Um, totally. So if you were to press, like if you were really pressing it when it's all said and done, how many I, Wimbledon's? I, I don't think it's productive to make that type of. Um, <laughs> Asher, but, but I I think we can say that he uh, he can win a Wimbledon. He like can. as if he will win he, one. I think. As in, we think, can't say he's going to win five. I mean that's. Uh, <laughs> Four. <laughs> you don't think he can win four Wimbledon? I mean, you're you're getting caught up in the whole changing of the guard. This guy is Federer, you know. I'm just saying, you just gonna... <laughs> knock out the bottom, like knock out. Okay, knock out like the top five in the world. Okay, but so, obviously there's other young guys that could come up. But look, but going on your point, grass isn't what it used to be, right? I mean, even when Federer won in '05, grass is slower now. You don't need to be a net player. Mm. Is someone? I mean, Hatchinov. He's got. He got to the finals of Hall in two thousand. Sorry, two thousand seventeen. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could win a Wimbledon. You have. Um, I mean, Zverev, right? He. I mean, Hatchinov. Zverev. Zverev. I put maybe like. I don't know. He doesn't really demonstrate grass play yet. But um, I also. I'm not. Hatchinov's game on grass is like a little. He's he's got like very like his western a little loopy for grass. Maybe maybe his wind up is a little too big for grass. Could be, could be. All right, I said we got to move forwards though. All right. My, my fi- okay, sorry. My final question with Cici Pass though is why did Nadal beat him so easily? Was it just he kind of got caught up in the moment, or is it just that Nadal's game was like made to beat someone like him? Uh, I think Asher will have a better response to this. I think it's just a poor matchup. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's a, it's a poor matchup. Like uh, Nadal was serving great, so let, let's not take anything away from Rafa. He he served great, and he was he was implementing a new style. Uh, for the first uh, sort of six games in which he was uh, serving big on the first serve, then taking the first ball really early, hitting it in the corner. And Tsitsipas, I don't think his return game is that strong. So mm-hmm. he got under pressure straight away. And then when he he couldn't uh, hold out his serve, it was just it was just probably a bit too much pressure for him to handle at that stage. I don't, I don't think necessarily Nadal would always beat him like that or their games line up such that Nadal is always going to kill him. I think next time he should he should improve and like come back stronger from it. Mm, spot on spot on real quick before we go to the next one let's do a minute and a half max two minutes um Sitsipas Federer uh, Asher can you break it down tell us what happened uh yeah bizarre match um 
So first set, very close tiebreak. Federer takes it 13-11. There's a, there's a bit of uh, animosity going on with the umpire. The umpire is making some weird warnings, uh, not calling let on like Federer's points. Then Federer, he should win the second set. He has break points in multiple games, multiple break points, doesn't get it done. And it just sort of from then on, it became kind of this weird match in which you kind of felt it was going sits up. It was like almost destined to go Sitsi Pass's way. Uh, like Federer should always win that match, but he just went 0 for 12. Sitsi Pass still played great. Um, and then by the end of the match, Federer started getting a bit tired. Uh, and Sitsi Pass took it down in a fourth set tie break. How much do you think the ball change um, was a factor? I mean, all this, this stuff is, you, know, you never, we'll never really know, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's a match who is the better player. But I think it's something that is often overlooked, right? Is ultimately, what are you hitting, right? You're hitting the ball. The balls are different this year. Um, yeah, for sure. Like, for sure. In the Federer-Sitsipas match, I did notice that Federer from the back of the court was struggling to hit through Sitsipas. Yeah, uh, like Sissipas is a great athlete. He is a great uh, defender, but there's there's a couple of moments where I noticed Federer sort of exasperating and like yelling out like a like a grunt, which he normally doesn't do, just trying to hit the ball harder. But right. those balls they came out they came out of the can like super hot. So for like a couple of games they were flying off the court, and then after that they would sort of die a bit, and they wouldn't go through the court as they did the last couple of years when Federer was pretty dominant. Right. Um, I think Federer would shake off. Any suspicion, though, that the balls played a factor? Yeah, no, 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 no. And so to conclude this, just two points. One, truly remarkable win for Tsitsipas to, you know, not be just starstruck about this match and be happy to be there and actually take it to Federer, play aggressively, and not only win that match, but back it up. So he even said he's like, and when he won the... His reaction, we'll post a video after, was... Gold, right? But I mean, after, sorry, after Fed, he played um, Bautista. And then when he beat Bautista, he said, he's like, you know, I'm glad I backed it up because it would have looked like yeah. you know, everything else. <laughs> but his, his reaction was great. And then just, you know, a lot of people are talking about changing the guard here. One thing I think is interesting that if you haven't seen this already, that um, maybe um, puts this in the context more. So, so when Federer beat Sampras at Wimbledon 2001, Federer was ranked 15 in the world and he had one title. And it's the same with Tsitsipas. He's ranked 15, has one title. So, you know, just a coincidence, but interesting. Mm. Interesting context there, because it was obviously a match that was in some people's mind. So when you bring that stat to light... Um, was it also four sets? Were they both four-set matches? I think Federer was five sets against Sampras. Asher, was that a five-set match with Fed? A, f- a five-set, yeah. I think seven-five in the fifth. Right. Okay. Um, okay, we're not going to go too much into Zverev. The only thing I think that I want to say is I feel like Tsitsipas, in his interview going into the semi said that like when he came into this uh when he came into or his goal for 2019 was to reach a semifinal at a grand slam and that like he already done it i feel like zverev is going into tournaments with his goal being to win the grand slam <laughs> yeah. and that's his issue <laughs> he could take a uh, a page out of tzizi pass's book but i feel like we've said this for for years or for years because zverev has really been playing for some, some time now for at least mm-hmm. when we started the podcast in 06 yeah i mean we <laughs> asked alex and i have, i mean I remember us talking about this in 2017, that Zverev putting too much pressure on himself. I mean, in 19, you know, he's second round Wimbledon, you know, I need to win the tournament. It's the goal is to win it. You know, it's, I think he put too much pressure on himself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and again, it's, it's showing, right? He's not been able to make that break through the slams. So, okay. Let's go to Dahl Joker. Asher, you set the stage. Give us a little history of the, 
of the matchup. I know there's a lot of stats to refer to. Um, the things that when I looked at them is like, while their head to head is close, Nadal owns him at Grand Slams. I think right. It was it's like in Grand Slams, his Nadal I think it was like nine five or nine four going in. Right. Does that sound? Uh, I, um, I'm not sure, but uh, I can I can go into the the history of it. So basically, before the match, um, I think the the betting market and sort of the general public had it kind of like a toss up. Everyone thought it was going to go five sets. Uh, the betting markets themselves had it at 55, 45 to Novak. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I thought it'd be much I, as in Rafa had this like new game that sort of should have worked against Novak. Um, cause for the first six matches, he was using this new, like hyper aggressive style. But then we, uh, we got to the match and kind of Rafa was put under pressure straight away. And this um, was the 53rd time they played 53rd. Yeah. It's the most, yeah. it's, it's, it's essentially the, the, the biggest rivalry right in the history of the sport in the open era. Um, so, I mean, it was so, do you, much do you, do you, do you want to, do you want to go over the match itself first? Or do you want, do you want me to go through the history? No, bring it, take, take us through the history. <laughs> we'll go through the match. Okay. So back in uh, 2006, <laughs> well, no. So basically when Novak was coming up in like 2006, 2007, and like Rafa was beating Federer all the time, everyone thought that Novak would have like the perfect game to beat Rafa because Novak's strength was his backhand and Rafa couldn't get to it as much. And back in the day, I think the people who were beating Rafa, there was like a couple of ways to beat him. So either you took like the Federer, James Blake style approach of you, you're like super quick around the court, you hit everything early, you take time away from Rafa, or you use like the Thomas Burdick approach in which you just stay back and try to hit through him. Um, And then Novak sort of for the first few years, sort of pre-gluten-free from like 06 to 11, sort of he was beating... Uh, yeah, exactly. He he was beating Rafa sort of like in the semis of Indian Wells and stuff, but when it came to when it came to the big matches like the finals and the Grand Slams, he lost every single time. So he was 0 and 5 in finals and 0 and 5 in Grand Slams, and his his strategy was kind of he would sort of stay like a couple of feet behind the baseline and then just try and just like either go for broke. Or if he just used to rally, sort of, he didn't have like the either the mental belief or the physic the physicality needed to beat Rafa, and so you could tell by the in the in the deciding set of all the big matches that they played, like it was always like six one six two to Rafa by the end, right? Novak definitely didn't have the legs or the belief. Like it was it was kind of like Bane in uh, the Dark Knight Rises when he goes, "I was wondering what would break first, your spirit <laughs> or your body." <laughs> it's spot on. So this this is pre gluten free. So this is 2006 to 2010, and then we get to now we get to post gluten free, right? So post gluten free, Novak is like he doesn't really change his style that much. He's still two feet behind the baseline, except now he sort of realizes that he has the physicality to match up with Rafa. So throughout 2011, they played six times, and like Novak's playing pretty much the same tennis. He's just standing a couple of feet behind the baseline. He just knows that he's slightly better than Rafa at sort of kind of changing directions and slightly better on the turn, slightly better on the serve. So all of these matches, they all went to like four sets. They were all close matches, but Novak was just like slightly better. And then after that, in 2012, Rafa came back, he made some adjustments, but then Novak lost his spirit a bit. (laughs) So Novak kind of like in 2012, 2013, he wasn't the same guy from a confidence standpoint. So Rafa sort of then turned the table. So Novak won seven in a row, 2011, early 2012. Then Rafa comes back, wins six of seven, including two big ones, like hardcore. Um, 
in Toronto in 2013 and then US Open final 2013. Um, so then it looks like Rafa's kind of reversed the tide a bit. But since then, uh, so going into the final, it was something like 13 to 2 to Novak. So he's been pretty dominant uh, since then. I think for a couple of years, Rafa had lost his body a bit. But then Novak had got back his spirit and his body. Um, so then, so I was just I was just talking about how sort of Novak hadn't really changed his tactics in terms of like he would just stay like two feet behind the baseline. But then sort of over the last couple of years, he actually he actually has improved himself. So as he gets more confident, he starts taking the ball a bit earlier. So then he so that even tilts the matchup even more in his advantage, right? Because if he just stands back and is is like happy to sort of like deflect a couple of balls here and there, then that allows Rafa to at least gain some impetus. So if Rafa decides to go for his shots, he can he can take back the initiative. But then when Novak then steps in, then it's like almost game over for Rafa. Then he has to play sort of like out of his skin or something. So last year at Wimbledon, it was a pretty good match. Uh, Novak wasn't fully back to his confidence yet, which was which is why I think it went to five sets. But Rafa played really well. He played like a super aggressive style with his forehand, hitting it in uh, like down the line, especially super hard. And it was a super close match. Uh, so going into this match, I thought Rafa would have to employ like a similar strategy. Everyone thought that he would have to play the super aggressive style, but he kind of got broken in the first game. And then since then, um, from there on, it was just like downhill. Uh, Novak, uh, he, he sort of kind of played into Novak's hands by just uh, playing his, going back to his old like spinny style. And then Novak, like he then, he wasn't just better from like two feet behind the baseline than he started. Um, he started playing his like full flight version uh, of himself, which was then he started like taking the ball uh, early on the rise, um, and Rafa was left a bit like helpless by the end there. Mm. No, that's a, <laughs> I, I think a brilliant analysis. I, I don't have much to add to that because that's so so comprehensive. I mean, I mean, one thing I'll say that at least just struck me was Djokovic always someone who changed direction really well, and now he's playing on top of the baseline. Chaining direction is even more just devastating to the other side. I mean, taking backhands right off the rise, pulling it cross court, and then following it up with a forehand up the line right off the bounce, unreal. Yeah. I mean, even I mean, the, the point at I think it was fifteen thirty, the forehand he hit up the line to set up the match point. I mean, that that last set he was oh, yeah. unbelievable. I mean, three drop shots, one game, just to put it all off balance. It was. Um, I do. How well do you think Nadal actually played though? Because from the beginning of the match, like the first game, the first the first set, Nadal had like tons I, of unforced errors. Yeah, started, slow. Yeah, that's. It was like a. That's weird, why I, it's a, for me. I felt like it's hard for me to make a ton of analysis about the match because I think Djokovic obviously played amazing. He even said himself like he thought it was like basically like a perfect match. He had incredibly few unforced and errors. Also, go, we should say going into the match when he absolutely destroyed Pui, I think once I was six love, he did say that that was the best match he's ever played with the Australian Open. So he went into this match mm -hmm. just on in, on pure form. And I think one thing I'll add to Asher's analysis that I noticed in this, this final is despite him winning Wimbledon and playing US Open, I, when watching those, I mean, even against Del Porto, his form was unreal in the final. It still didn't seem like he was on that 2012 level of playing on yeah, instinct. I agree with that. It did seem like this at this tournament. It really seemed like it was just well, pure instinct. The, well, Djokovic dropped a few sets though coming into this. No, right? just one set to Medvedev. That was the only set he lost. No, 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 no. He lost. He, you know, he dropped. He dropped the uh, Shapo as well. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. So right, well, right, right. I think he's. It seems like in the last, since his like run began, what from Wimbledon last year? Yeah. Um, 
I feel like he's consistently done where it's like, I feel like when Fed and Roth have been playing well, they'll go in and they'll be like, it's like going into fourth round or quarterfinals. It's like, Oh, Fed or Rafa hasn't, haven't dropped a set. They're trying to play like these like perfect matches where Djokovic, I feel like early rounds maybe plays down a little bit, but then when it comes time for him to play guys that he like, you know, that are actually challenging him, he, he then like rises levels in a way that I don't know that the other guys do. I have have been doing, have been doing. I I do think Nadal came out a bit tight and was maybe, I think he definitely was more timid, but, but I do think he was almost, I, mean, I think he was just generally taken aback and unprepared for Djokovic to come out that strong on the baseline. But has Nadal ever lost in straight sets in a Grand Slam final? No. Uh, no. No. I thought it was – seeing that guy lose in straight sets looks so uncanny and weird to me. It's almost uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Nadal, um, it was definitely a, a bad performance from him. But I, I wouldn't have minded if he just played badly. Um, he kind of lost like all confidence whatsoever. So he abandoned like the aggressive style that he needed. And then he was basically playing, uh, he started playing in a way in which Novak was going to win every single time. I mean, on those courts, especially with, with, the, with, the, with the way they were and the balls not like kicking up, like he, his like forehand cross court was never, ever going to get through uh, Novak. Yeah. So I was, I was disappointed with Rafa in terms of the, the style that he didn't adopt. Um, I, I Adding, I since he added so many things to his game, though, I feel like it's once you start playing someone who really challenges you, you can get in this weird kind of yeah. like insecure negative feedback loop where you really question yourself yeah yeah. also i don't don't want to blame him too much because i mean novak is ridiculous (laughs) and his 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 return of serve i mean straight away he's putting rafa under pressure rafa lost like one service game the whole the whole tournament straight away he gets broken and rafa already in his book he meant rafa he already in his book he mentioned how hard it is for him to uh, to play in a way that's not natural for him Mm. and so if you if you, if it's hard anyways, and then you 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 have to do it against who's probably like who might be the greatest player of all time, and a guy who's just like the worst matcher for you, um, I kind of sympathize for him or with him. All right, I'm gonna say something that might be uh, what's the word provocative? Because someone said this to me. I don't know if I believe it. If someone tells you that Djokovic is a pusher, what would you say? Do you think he's a pusher? Uh, I would say that, that person is a clown. <laughs> I would, I would, I would agree with Asher. But like he's, it's like every one of his balls lands like no, no, he no. doesn't. They're not like super deep balls. They land like right around midline. But that's not true. He's hitting. Okay, he's starting one, to come in. He's one, start, his balls get unbelievable depth on them. Two, no, but his depth balls, is not. They're not like depth the balls that are mid court. He's cutting off the angle. Those the kind of the shooting balls he hits diagonally. No, I mean he doesn't whoever, paint whoever, line. Though. I don't know who called him a pusher. You think it's ridiculous? Hey, I'm just. You could call him a pusher. Like, I, 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 I think. That. I think. I think you could say that he's a, a, a counter puncher. Maybe I would. I would never say he's a pusher. I mean, this guy isn't. He isn't. He isn't like Gilles Simon out there. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's he's definitely a, uh, an unbelievably aggressive counter puncher. I mean, right? It's like simultaneously counter punching, but also being on the offensive the whole time. I think I think um, that that kind of ties in uh, what we just talked about like a couple of minutes ago and why and why he doesn't perform well in the early stages of Grand Slams. I think part of it is because he doesn't care. Part of it is also because he prefers playing guys who who let him like counterpunch. So when Rafa plays him, right. he knows he knows like Rafa's like style. He knows that he can sort of just counterpunch of Rafa's ground strokes when Federer when he plays Federer even though that's a really tight matchup he knows he can counterpunch like an aggressive uh, an aggressive player 
uh, when he plays like some of the grinders early on in the tournament, it's like he he finds it hard, I think, to just go out there with like full impetus and just like take them down because he he prefers he prefers playing reactive as opposed to proactive tennis, I think. Right. All right. So let's let's wrap this up with two quick points. One, does Djokovic win the Grand Slam this year? Uh, I think it's impossible to say, but it's hard to know, right? But my biggest yeah. issue with that though is I I still think all the like him, Rafa, and Fed, to know that they can stay healthy, especially when he comes out in the year playing this well at the beginning. Right. I think the whether or not they can not get injured is still really yeah. tough. And the second point, what's next for Fed? We know he's playing French Open, which is... What's he doing too much with the Hotman Cup? All these things come in. <laughs> I feel like he was he was having a little too much fun, maybe. I think this is... I think he's at a... It's a... It's a is the first time in his career that I felt this. I think before, I think he's always been like a top two, top three type guy for the last like 15 years, except when he when he had like a back problem in like 2013 or he had the knee problem in 2016. Um, I always felt like he was going to get to semis of Grand Slams. Now I kind of feel like he's a solid like world number five to eight, and he could be he, he could be taken out he could be taken out by like Zverev, Sitsi, Del Potro, Chilich. Like I don't think he's automatic against these guys anymore. Um, I don't know I think, that a Grand Slam Zverev can take him out right now. I don't know. Grand, Grand Slam, I still think Zverev against Fed. Fed is just too uh, smart. I think yeah, he steps I in think and Fed will take him. You know, it's uh, yeah. another story, maybe. CT, I don't know. Is it, is it, don't get me wrong. I think Fed is still the favorite in all of these matches. I just think it's like um, it's, it's like more more plausible than it's ever been that he goes out to, to these guys when it wasn't when it wasn't the case before. I yeah, still no, think he can win Wimbledon. It's if by things no go his way. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, all but right. Well, is he is he is he is he is he prepared to have this career in which he's like a solid like a solid top ten guy because it, it hasn't been the case since twenty in, since two thousand and two. Right, and and since he won it last year and didn't match it this year, but at least you know quarter semi, he's number six in the world now from three. Mm-hmm. Asher, I think. Yeah, I think mm, you go. You go. No, 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 yeah, I said he's number six. Number six is a pretty fair reflection of, of his level right now. Yep. All right. To end it, Asher, can you take us through uh, wins and losses betting? Did you come out on top or were you? Uh, 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 yeah, uh, <laughs> Novak, I was I was down. Uh, Novak came through through for me at the end. There was um, I had a good discussion with my friends in the gambling community before the game. <laughs> uh, the betting market had Novak as a 55 percent favorite. But looking at the the history over the last like four years, Novak was thirteen and two, something like that, on hard courts like ten and zero. Like Rafa hadn't been in hard courts since two thousand and thirteen, so we all felt that uh, Novak would be a good bet. Like he should be a seventy to eighty percent favorite. So that that came through for me. I want a uh, couple hundred that, there. One thing I'll say on betting, I used to think for <laughs> many years I've always been very good at calling matches. As soon as I've started checking the betting markets my <laughs> own objective assessment is that I'm, I'm looking at the betting market i'm seeing the odds and i'm trying to find inconsistencies in the analysis and it's throwing me off <laughs> i need to <laughs> i need to i need to stop looking at the betting market and just kind of rely on my own analysis um and you know i i, end, I ended down in, in betting well, so. i wonder what the odds for djokovic winning in straight sets were yeah, those wouldn't have been good at all. Um, I, I mean, even 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 I didn't I didn't think he was going to win the straight sets. All right. Also, shout out Lu- Lucas Pui and Milos Raonic for 
getting as far as it did. Um, we can talk about that another episode as well. But we'll be sitting down uh, with them at the New York Open coming up. In a yeah, couple uh, weeks. we have actually we, we have um, Lucas Pui in March. He's doing a date to met with us. <laughs> um, should should, uh, should should I should I should I tell the Luca Luca Pui story with uh, Alexi that that happened in September? If we can do Open. it in a minute, because we're I think we're over. we're over time. I feel like we're over time. Okay. Okay, we'll, 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 we'll do. Do. Have a next solid time. 2019. I tune, feel like- tune in our next episode. We're going to start with a, a genuine story about Lucas Pui. Uh, in the meantime, great story. Thanks to our new sponsor, uh, Peugeot. Mm. And also, look, <laughs> look out for Lucas Pui to be taking over our Instagram. He's going to be taking it over live from Monte Carlo next week. All right. All right. Cheers, mates. Cheeky volley. Asher, thanks for staying up. Get some sleep. All right, mates. <laughs>